0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. Our right, Terry's going to come and lead us in the scripture reading of Jeremiah 29:10 to 14 today. Good morning. For this is what the Lord says: When seventy years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration: plans for your well-being, not for your disaster, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope, you will call to me and, I, and come to pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we are in Jeremiah. Now, I would, I would venture a guess that if you know no other verse from Jeremiah, it's probably Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. If you don't know that one, then there's probably two more verses in Jeremiah and you probably haven't read the rest of the book. I'm just, just to be real here, right? Jeremiah, if you didn't know, by word count, Jeremiah is the longest book of the Bible. In Hebrew, according just to the number of words that are written, Jeremiah is the longest book of the Bible. So you could be forgiven if you never made it through the whole thing. I get it. It's okay. Uh, Jeremiah is an interesting book that sits here, kind of right in the middle of, of our English Bibles. It's kind of the dead center of our English Bibles. Um, But a lot of people don't really know much about the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was this guy who lived in Jerusalem, lived in the capital city of of Judah, formerly the capital city of all of Israel. But then when Israel broke up into Judah in the south and Israel in the north, Jerusalem was right there, the capital city of Judah. And over the years, the people of God who lived in Israel had kind of swung back and forth in their faithfulness to God. Sometimes they'd be, they'd be really faithful. They'd be doing what God called them to. They'd be caring for the poor and loving one another and worshiping God only and not following idols and the gods of other pagan nations. And then sometimes, most of the time, they were kind of worshiping other gods and they were oppressing people and not caring for the poor among them. They weren't really following their God, Yahweh, in the way that Yahweh had called them to follow. And they did this for a number of reasons. Israel is actually a tiny little nation, tiny little nation sandwiched between the Jordan River on the east side and the Mediterranean Sea on the west side. And it's, it's a very fertile area, and it's, it's a crossroads. Israel exists in this, in this fertile crossroads where if you're going anywhere in the world in these days, you've got to go through Israel. And so they got all kinds of foreign nations always passing through. And when these foreign nations pass through, sometimes they look around and they go, hmm, this is really nice. I think we should own this land. I don't know about these Israelites. I think this should be our spot. And so they would begin to put pressure on Israel. Sometimes the the empires would come through and they would just straight up conquer Israel and annex them into the empire. Other times, Israel was under pressure from the surrounding nations who were like, that green land shouldn't belong to these little, this little group of Jews. It ought to belong to us. And so they were always putting military pressure. And so one of the ways that Israel pushed off the invaders was to worship the gods of the invaders. Because in this world, when you went to war with somebody, the war was not just between the people groups. The war was between the gods of those people groups, the gods of those nations. And so you would carry the banner of your god into battle. And whoever won the war had the strongest god. And so Israel would be like, yeah, we love our god. Yeah, yeah, our god is strong. But what if Baal's stronger? Or what if the god of Moab is stronger than Yahweh? What if they're stronger than our god? You know, we should probably sacrifice to that god just to be safe. So if I sacrifice to the God of the nation that wants to conquer me, maybe that God won't let his people conquer me, and I'll still keep my land. And so it's a political move on behalf of Israel to worship the gods of other nations. And of course, as you can imagine, Yahweh, their God, was like, ah, that ain't going to fly with me. I'm, I'm not down with that. Yahweh says, no, I, I'm, I'm the greatest there is. I'm the creator God. I'm the one who made everything else. You can't go worship some lesser God than me and expect me to be cool with that. It's not going to happen. And so over the years, God promised over and over and over through prophets. Prophets are the mouthpieces of God. They're the people who stand in the place for God and speak to the leadership of the nation. So over and over through the years, the prophets had come to the leaders of the nation and said, God's really not happy with this. Like, and you better stop or God's judgment is going to come. If you guys keep sacrificing to these other gods, if you keep making these political calculations and trying to worship other gods, then Yahweh, your God, is going to judge you. And it's going to be worse than if you were taken over by these other nations. It's actually going to be worse for you if your God judges you. And so just be faithful to God. If you're faithful to God, he'll protect the nation. But of course, all too often that fell on deaf ears. And so by the 6th century B.C., by, by the 500s B.C., the people of God, the, the Israelites, the Judaites are, are they're not really following Yahweh. And so finally, finally Yahweh comes through and says, I'm sorry, i got to send you away. I need to teach you who you really are. I need to teach you who I've called you to be. I need to teach you what it is to be faithful to me, and your being comfortable in your home isn't helping with that, so I need to take you out of your home. I need to take you to a place where you are supremely uncomfortable, a place where you don't know how to operate. Because isn't it true that all too often God has to remove us from our comfortable places in order to show us who he really is? He has to take us from our comfortable places in order to humble us enough to see who he's called us to be. He has to remove us from our wealth and provision. He has to remove us from the things that bring us comfort and peace in life in order to make us supremely reliant on him. That's what God's judgment is for. It's not to destroy his people. It's not that God is so mad at his people, he's like, I'm just going to wipe you out. It's that God is upset with his people because they've forgotten who he calls them. They've forgotten who he wants them to be. They've forgotten how to rely on him. And so God is saying, i got to take you out of this situation. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for you to remain in the place where you're comfortable. It's not healthy for you to remain in the place where you're wealthy. It's not good for you to remain in this place because you've forgotten me. And so God comes down and through the prophet says, I'm going to send you to Babylon. Now Babylon was the big bad empire on the block at the time. Previously, the Assyrian Empire had come through and had taken away most of the nation of Israel. So you got two countries. You got Israel in the north and Judah to the south. Previously, the Assyrian Empire, who were like really brutal, really tough folks, they come through and they wipe out Israel and they take all the Israelites away from the land of Israel. And God says, That was me. That was me allowing the Assyrians to come in and remove you from the place of your comfort so that you'll learn who I am. And now what's left is Judah. And so the Babylonian Empire comes in. And really, though it's Judah that's left, it's really just Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the big, walled city that's really, really hard to overtake. It's really, really hard to to take down these walled cities because they're self-reliant, they're self-contained, they've got everything they need, and you have to besiege them. And a siege is a really costly way of doing war. And so... It's the Babylonians who come in and they besiege Jerusalem. Only after they've made multiple raids in and they've weakened the Jewish people, now they come and they besiege the city of Jerusalem. And once they've won the war, once Babylon has won the war, they cart away the leadership of Judah. And so now what was once the whole nation of Israel filled with God's people is just a husk of itself. It's been emptied of its people. It's been emptied of its leadership, and its leadership has been taken away And so now the leaders of the nation are in Babylon. They're in the most pagan of pagan places, if you're a faithful Jew. And so Jeremiah, the prophet, comes along. Jeremiah is a mouthpiece for God, just as all the prophets before him were. And he writes this letter. God tells Jeremiah, I want you to write a letter to my people in exile. So Jeremiah is still back in Jerusalem, and he writes this letter to all the people who have been carted away to Babylon. And that's what chapter 29 is. Chapter 29 is this letter that God told Jeremiah to write and take to the exiles living in Babylon. I hope you're following along at this point. I'm not the best storyteller, so it's okay if you're not. Just remember, these are the words of God to his people who are now living in a foreign country ruled by foreign gods and foreign religions. And this is what God wants them to do. And so the letter begins by telling the people of God, look, this is going to be a long time. He says 70 years. Now, when he says 70 years, he doesn't necessarily mean a literal 70 years. So if you go look at the timeline and you're like, wait a minute, that's actually 67 and one half years. It's not 70. So the Bible's false. You missed the point. Okay. This is a symbolic period of time. What God is saying is it's going to last a long time, more than one generation, and it's, it's going to end. There will be an end to this. And that's the purpose of God saying, this is going to last 70 years. So don't get it in your mind that you're going to be here for like two or three years and then you're going home. It's not going to happen. And to the older people, what he's saying is, don't get in your mind that you're ever going home. You're going to die in Babylon. It's just going to happen. And so God is letting his people know, settle in. And this is where, toward the beginning of chapter 29, toward the beginning of this letter, God says, because you're going to be there a long time, I want you to settle in, build houses, marry people, be given in marriage, set up businesses, and seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Now, if you're a faithful Jew and Babylon is your worst enemy, that's the strangest thing God can say to you. Like, I've just moved you into the capital of your worst enemy, and I want you to love these people. I want you to make sure that Babylon thrives. I want you to make sure that these people prosper around you. And so God says, first, I want you to make sure Babylon prospers. And then after 70 years, I'm going to take you out of Babylon and I'm going to put you back home. And that's where we picked up was the point where God was saying, don't despair don't despair because you're in Babylon. Know that there's an end coming. There's an end point to your exile, and you will get to go home. And that's when God says to you, I have a hope and a future for you. And my intent is not to harm you, but to prosper you. Now, all too often, we come to Jeremiah 29 11, and we read this individually because we're Americans. Because we're Westerners. This, this is how we read this. And so you, you may have been shared this verse as an encouragement to you before. God has plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And if you've ever received that encouragement, you might look at the circumstances of your life and go, I don't see any evidence of that. Like, I don't see any evidence of God wanting to prosper me and to give me a hope in the future. I, 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 have you seen my life? Have you seen what I'm dealing with? Have you walked with me for more than five minutes? Do you know that I barely paid my rent last week? Do you know that my, my children can't play sports? My, my, my kids can't go do the things that kids do because I can't even afford the fees for it? Do you know that, that I can barely stay in my home? Did did you hear when I got that diagnosis? Because all of this together doesn't seem like God has a hope for me. It doesn't seem like God has plans to prosper me and not harm me because all I see at the moment is harm. All I see at the moment is pain. All I see at the moment is I'm being run ragged and I still can't make ends meet. We were watching uh, this show last night, Made, on Netflix. Have any of you watched this yet? Yeah, um, I, highly, I highly recommend it. I, I worked in, as many of you know, like I worked in homeless recovery and in addiction recovery for a while. And um, I'm watching this movie and I almost had PTSD just watching this, not because I experienced it, but because of the stories that I heard over and over. Because it really does seem like once one thing knocks you down, Everything just comes and hits you, and hits you, and hits you, and you just kept getting beaten, blown back. We finished the first episode, and I was like, I don't know if I can watch any more of this. Thank God the second was more redemptive, but I'm watching the first, and I'm like, I can't even, I can't do this. And yet I know that that's the reality of life. This girl leaves an abusive relationship. And because the support systems aren't there and because the family isn't there and because the stuff that she needs isn't there, it's just one thing after another, knocking her down, knocking her down, knocking her down, knocking her down. And I think if I walk into that situation and I say to this girl, don't worry. The Lord has plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a hope and a future. She would be right to slap me in the face. There would be nothing wrong with that. Because we we pull these verses out of context and we don't realize who they're really talking to. And so for the people who were in exile in Babylon, life was not going nicely. The circumstances of life were not good. And this promise to them was not a promise that, hey, everything's going to work out right now. The promise was not one of, hey, if you would just put your faith in the Lord, everything would turn right for you. If you would just worship him, everything would suddenly be going better for you. That is not the promise of this verse. This promise is given to the entirety of the people of God. It's given to the whole community of God. The whole community of Jewish people who are now living in exile. And God is saying, look... Your circumstances are terrible right now, and I'm responsible for them, and I'm not going to shirk that responsibility. God makes it clear. He is the reason the people are in exile. And so this is the comfort to the whole people to say, if you will endure, if you will seek the peace and prosperity of this place that I have brought you, if you will seek the peace and prosperity of the people that you hate the most, and if you will repent and come to me, then I have a hope and a future for you as a people. I have a hope and a future that's coming. And maybe it's coming at the end of the 70 years. For you, that's going to seem like a really long time. In fact, people of God, some of you are going to die before you see the promise. And you're going to struggle. And it's going to be hard. But you're living into this promise for the sake of your children. You're living into this promise for the sake of the generations that will come after you. You're living into this promise for the sake of my people continuing on. Don't give up hope. Hold on through the struggle. Hold on through the pain for the sake of your kids and for the sake of the world. Even if it's going to mean struggle for you right now. And when we pull out this verse and we apply it individually, we do a disservice to people. When we pull out this verse, it's an empty promise of flourishing to individuals. But he goes on. That passage here goes on from verse 11. And here's what God says to them. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Here is God saying the purpose of your exile is to know me. To know your dependence on me, the purpose of your circumstances, the purpose of your difficulties, the purpose of where you find yourself right now is to understand full reliance upon your good God, to seek him with all your heart. I don't know, I I will not say, because I don't think it's true, that God has you in whatever difficult circumstances you're in right now. I'm not gonna say that God put you there. For some of us, we put ourselves there through bad decisions, through irresponsibility. For some of us, we were born into circumstances that were stacked against us always, and we've never had a chance to get ahead. And yes, there are lots of those people. For some of us, we are where we are because of the actions of other people that we had no control over, and we're stuck And for some of us, yeah, maybe God did allow us to end up in this place of struggle and of pain. This is God saying to his people, in their pain, it is meant to draw you to me. However you ended up where you are, however you ended up in the circumstances you're in, or in the living situation you're in, or or whatever you're facing, you are there in order to learn greater dependence upon your good God to look upon Him, to fall more in love with Him. You're there to to lay down your self-control, to to lay down down the control you have over your life. You need to be self-controlled, right? But you're there to let go of some of that control you've been holding on to, especially if it's your decisions that have got you where you are. We're there to to be able to come open-handed to our God, And say, God, I can't dig myself out. I can't move this mountain. I can't change Babylon. I can't make them let me go back home to Jerusalem. I can't make things work out for myself. But I know you can. And I know your purposes are better for me than my own purposes for myself. Wherever we are right now is a call to dependence upon our good God. In whatever situation, this is what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.13, that verse that also gets mangled. It says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul is saying there, look, I've been broke and in prison and on the brink of death, and I have been wealthy. And in all of those circumstances, I have learned to rely on Jesus. And that's what God is saying here. No matter what the circumstances of your life, whether they're prospering or you're struggling right at the moment, Our call is to learn dependence on our God. To learn to give up our control of everything. And say, God, I'm here. I want to fall more in love with you. I want to be yours. I want to follow you. Because I know you have the plan. You have the future in your hand. And that's why Jeremiah 29, 11 exists. It's to remind us that even if right now it looks like God's plans for us are not that great, he has plans to give us a hope and a future as a people. And then he goes on in verse 14. I will be found by you. Isn't that a beautiful promise? God says in 12 and 13, you're going to seek me with all your heart because of where you are. And here's the promise, you're going to find me. Some of us aren't sure of that with the people that we love. Some of us grew up in a place where love was withheld from us. And as children, we came seeking love and it was never given. Some of us have been in romantic relationships where we have come and given our whole selves and sought love. And it was never given. We never had the promise that if we sought love from people, we would find it. Some of y'all have been searching for love your entire lives and you've never found it. And it has been withheld from you. And your God looks at you and says, when you seek me, my promise is that I will be found by you. I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not running away from you. I won't withhold from you. My love is for you. And it is available to you at any moment. So many of us desperately need that promise spoken over us because we've experienced love withheld and love withdrawn and love put out there on display and then snatched away the moment that we try to grab hold of it. And we need God's firm, solid promise that when we seek him, he will be there. When we reach for his love, it will never be taken off the table. Ever. It's always there. And so he says, I'll be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. He's just driving it home. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I love how he repeats it there. Right? This is not Jeremiah talking. This is God himself. Yahweh, the God, creator God of all the universe, speaking to his people. I have declared this. And then he finishes with the promise, I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. If you will bear in these 70 years, if you will seek the, f- the peace and prosperity of Babylon, if you will love those people who are your bitterest enemies, I promise you a future you cannot even fathom. You cannot imagine. And this is precisely the promise that we have in Christ. Because you see, even in this place, God could speak these words, and the people would go back to God and say, I'm not sure I can trust you because of where I am. I'm not sure because, God, have you ever really suffered like this? Oh, God, you sent us to Babylon, but have you ever been in Babylon, God? Do you have any idea how these people treat us? Do you have any idea how these people look at us? Right here in this place, where the people are in exile in Babylon, they have a standing, they have a place where they can look to God and they can say, God, I get what you're saying, but you don't know what it is to be me. And if you read the Psalms, so many of the writers of the Psalms say exactly that to God. Go read Psalm 44. Psalm 44 is just the psalmist crying out to God, look, I'm in this place and it's horrible and you can have no idea what it is like, God, and you let me be here? And it's just a psalm of anger toward God and there's no hope. A lot of the psalms resolve on this place of, but I will trust in the Lord and I'll give him my heart and I will sing praise to him. Psalm 44 doesn't do any of that. Psalm 44 just ends with this accusation of God. And the psalm gives us permission. Our God is big enough to handle our complaints. He's big enough to be, for us to be mad at. If you've ever felt guilty for being angry with God, let it go. God's given you permission in his very word to do that. He's big enough to handle it. But in response to Psalm 44 and in response to our groanings to God, in response to our accusation to God that, oh yeah, God, this is great, you got pretty words, but you live up there in heaven and you don't know what it is to be me, enter Jesus. Enter God in the flesh. God-made man who walks among us, who lives in the dust of the world as one of us, who is insulted and beaten and pushed down and ultimately for treason against the Roman Empire taken to the cross where he suffers the most agonizing death we can imagine after living in poverty And walking and identifying with us in all of our woundedness, in all of our brokenness, in everything that stands against us. God's response to us when we cry out, Lord, you can't understand, is to say, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. I have walked in your shoes. I know what it is to be you. I know what it is to face the pains of the world. I know what it is to have everything stacked against me and to have it kill me. I know what it is to be you. And then we all know the story of Jesus ends. He dies on a cross and he's put into a tomb. And we all go home. But then on that third morning, the tomb is opened up. And Jesus has risen again. And the risen Jesus walks with his people and he talks to his people. And then what does Jesus do? Because I'll tell you what, if Jesus just rose from the dead and that was the end of the story, that would also be the end of our hope. Hooray, Jesus overcame. What about you and me? But at the end of the story, Jesus ascended to heaven to reign over his people as king, to send us the Holy Spirit to transform us, to give us new life. Jesus ascends to heaven in order to pour out on us the life the promise of Jeremiah 29:14. That I will restore the broken places. I will bring water to the desert places. I will bring hopeless and healing to you. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, so will you. You have a life everlasting because you are connected to the everlasting life that flows from our ascended King Jesus, the one who walked in our shoes, felt our pain, overcame the forces of the world, and now rules over them as their king. Nothing can stand against. And so you and I today, we live in Babylon. Just like those Israelites, just like those Judaites. 2,600 years ago, we live in our own Babylon. We live among people who don't know our God. And the call of Jeremiah to the people of God in Babylon is the same as God's call to you and me. Seek the peace and prosperity of those around you. Seek the peace and prosperity of your city. Seek the peace and prosperity of the people that you hate the most. Seek the peace and prosperity of the people who you think are against you. Seek the peace and prosperity of your enemies. Let your light so shine that people will see it and glorify your Father in heaven, says Jesus. This is the promise of Jeremiah 29 11. God has great plans for us to give us a hope and a future that only Christ can provide. And so if today you've heard this before and you think, man, God, you don't know my circumstances, or this feels like an empty promise to me, you can know, you can be assured that God's plans for you are to give you a hope in the future, but that hope and future are wrapped up entirely in Jesus Christ. And in the call to you and me to become more like him in every single way. So if the idea of God having a plan for you is anxiety-inducing and it's driving you to, to question, am I in the middle of God's plan? Am I following God's plan? Am I doing what God wants me to do or not? If, if that drives you to anxiety, drop it. And know that God's plan for you is to be like Jesus. God's plan for you is to turn to the cross, turn to the resurrection, turn to the ascended King Jesus who rules and reigns now, and know, as we sang earlier, that you are who he says you are and nothing else. Press into Jesus. Press into becoming like him, and you will be in the center of God's plan for you. Does God have a wonderful plan for life? Yes. It's to be like Jesus and to let all the other particulars fall where they may. Pursue Jesus with all your heart and all the promises of God are yours to claim. That's the promise of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. That's the promise of this communion cup as we come together here and we partake of the broken body and shed blood of our King Jesus. If you haven't gotten a cup, Terry will bring you one. This family meal for the family of God draws our attention to Christ and off of ourselves. And we do this as a family to remind ourselves that the promise of Jeremiah 29 11 is not to you and me individually, but to us as a community and as a family. And it calls us into the hope and future that Jesus has for his church, for his gathered people. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit christcommunitydenver.org.